0: And so we are continuing this morning in our series through this wonderful chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 49. So please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 35. Hear now the living, eternal word of God. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And the glory of the earthly is of another kind. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So about a year ago, I changed over from being an Android user to getting my first iPhone and because I'm not really concerned about all the features of the iPhone I I bought an iPhone 7 but they're about to release the iPhone 15 so I'm a little behind and if you include all the variations on each model they have the mini and the plus and the pro and the pro max there's been 24 different versions of the iPhone since the iPhone 7 so I'm really behind. And with each release, they always tout all the new features that make this iPhone the best version yet, better than all the previous versions. And some of the upgrades are significant improvements. So there's a long list of reasons why the current iPhone is vastly superior to my iPhone 7. So for the past few weeks, we've been studying chapter 15 in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians which focuses on the resurrection. And he's dealing with, in particular, with false teachers in the Corinthian church who were denying a future bodily resurrection of the dead. And so first Paul laid out the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. It was a real event in history, and he stated then the significance of the resurrection. He tied the resurrection of Christ to the future resurrection of all believers. And so he was saying that, arguing that the denial of the future resurrection of believers was a denial of the resurrection of Jesus himself, which is an essential part of the Christian faith. And so now Paul considers the future bodily resurrection of everyone who believes in Christ. And in doing so, he gives us three ways our resurrection bodies will be superior to our earthly bodies. First, resurrection bodies are eternal. Second, resurrection bodies have heavenly glory. And third, resurrection bodies are of Christ. After Paul tells the Corinthians of the significance of the resurrection of Christ and and the certainty of our future hope that we looked at last week, he begins our passage this morning in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So Paul sets up a possible objection of the future resurrection. It seems to be one that they may have been dealing with, with these two rhetorical questions. How are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? So the thrust of this argument is more of a mocking denial than serious questions. Their denial seems to come from this thought that the resurrection of the dead would be a raising of the current rotting corpses back to life like some kind of zombie apocalypse. But John Calvin wrote of this idea in his commentary, We are beyond measure spiteful and ungrateful in estimating the power of God if we take from him what is already manifest before our eyes. God's power is manifest in creation, but it's not limited to what we see in creation. The power of God is beyond anything we can imagine. Paul immediately refutes this denial of the resurrection bodies. Starting in verse 36, he says, You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Paul begins by calling the person who would ask these questions a fool. He's saying the reasons for denying the resurrection is nonsense. Then he replies with a few analogies from creation to describe the resurrection body. We see this analogy of a seed and a plant. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So sowing would be of a seed. And a seed is buried in the ground and seemingly dies. It actually decomposes while it's in the ground. But in this burial, in this death of the seed, a new life comes and emerges from the seed. And it's almost completely different than the seed. But somehow it's the same living entity. As Paul says in verse 37, And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or some other grain. He's explaining through this analogy that the body we have now is like a seed, and it will die first. Then he says in verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. Every seed grows into the type of plant God has designed it to be. And in the resurrection." The body of every believer will be as God has designed. And so the first way we see here that your resurrection body will be superior to your earthly body is that your resurrection body is eternal. Your earthly body will die. Paul actually says it must die in order that your resurrection body will come about. But the resurrected body won't die. In the next paragraph, Paul begins to drive home the points he's been making through his analogies. He says in verse 42, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Our current earthly bodies not only will die, but they're currently in the process of dying. Our current bodies get sick with all kinds of illnesses, infections, diseases, injuries. Our current bodies get weaker over time. Our joints don't work the way they once did. Our muscles fade in strength. Our eyesight and our hearing start to go. Everything about our earthly bodies is perishing. But not so with your future resurrected body. It's imperishable. Not only is it eternal that it won't die, but it also won't get sick. It won't fall apart. It won't get frail and weak over time your eyesight your hearing will be perfect there won't be any pain there won't be any suffering i'm in my early 40s and there's times where i feel the difference it feels like my body isn't working like it once did my sinuses constantly bother me my joints and my back start to ache and i know some of you may be thinking early 40s (laughs) you haven't seen anything (laughs) yet. just wait But the truth is, I am waiting. We're all waiting for the day that Christ return. And you'll be raised up in glory. In your glorified, perfected, heavenly body. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness and disease. No more physical decay. No more physical suffering. Your resurrected body will be a body that never dies. You won't age. Your body won't decline. Now, we have sayings that actually refer to the issues that come from having these earthly bodies. Like, uh, you can't put an old head on young shoulders, or youth is wasted on the young. And it's referring to the conditions of our earthly bodies. When you're young, your body works great. You're strong, you're vibrant, but you're also kind of foolish. You're lacking wisdom that only comes from age and experience. But this problem only lies in our earthly bodies. In the resurrection, the wisdom of maturity will be combined with the strength and energy of youth. The resurrected body will bring about a flourishing that we haven't seen or felt in this life. And so as you struggle in your current body, as we all do to varying degrees at different times, you can know for sure that God has promised you a resurrected body that is superior, far superior to your current body, beyond your wildest imagination. Your future resurrected body will be without any imperfections for eternity. Now Paul not only compares the perishable versus imperishable nature of our bodies, but he gives another illustration in verse 39. For not all flesh is the same. But there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. So Paul's now explaining that there's different kinds of bodies. For animals, for birds, for fish, and so on. And just the same, there's a different kind of body in this life. An earthly body. Versus the kind of body you will have in the resurrection. A heavenly body. And one way they differ is in their glory. He says in verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another kind. And so the second way our resurrection bodies will be superior to our earthly bodies is our resurrection bodies have heavenly glory. Paul illustrates this idea further in verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. And another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. The sun and the moon and the stars differ from each other in their splendor and their brilliance and their glory. The stars each have their own position, their own brightness and magnitude. God made the sun and the moon and the stars for their own purpose, with their own glory. In the same way, your resurrection body will be different. It will be of a glory of heaven. The glory of your earthly body is earthly. It's of one kind. But the glory of the resurrected body is heavenly. But it's still you. There is both a continuity and a discontinuity between your earthly and heavenly body. The continuity is that it's still you. You're the same person. And the discontinuity is what Paul has been laying out. Your resurrected body is eternal. It's of heavenly glory. There's a greatness to your resurrected body that we don't fully understand. But we do know that our resurrected bodies are eternal. They're immortal. They won't die. Their glory is heavenly. And their splendor is beyond anything on this earth, including your current body. And speaking of the sowing of the earthly body for the raising of the resurrected body, Paul says in verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. The earthly body is sown in dishonor and weakness. The earthly body dies because of sin. The earthly body is sown in a lowly, sinful, disgraced state, but the resurrected body is raised in glory. The mourning and sorrow and frailty of the death of your current body is exchanged for glory and radiance and power. Your sinful desires and your actions will be gone. In your glorified resurrected state, you'll be focused on worship and the glory of God. The weakness of decay will no longer be a part of you. The resurrected body is raised in power. The weakness of sin will be no longer. The resurrected body will be raised in the spirit. Paul says in verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Everyone has been longing for the decay and sickness and suffering to end. And people try to delay this at times. The, the massive industries in health and fitness and beauty products. But it's inevitable. Your body will decline and eventually die. But God promises an end to this decay for all who are in Christ. And he does so not by getting rid of our current sinful, decaying bodies, but by transforming that. By taking what is perishing and turning it into something imperishable. By taking what is natural and turning it into something supernatural. Taking what is dishonorable and turning it into glory. And so being freed from the limitations and consequences that come from sin, your resurrected body will be honorable and perfectly suited for pleasing and praising God throughout eternity. And so your resurrected body will be superior to your earthly body because it's eternal and it has heavenly glory. But Paul then goes on to explain why a perishable, dishonorable, earthly body came first before the eternal glory of a resurrected body. Starting in verse 45, going to read all the way down, he says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living body. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth. A man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Our earthly bodies are of Adam. And just as Adam was made of dust, our earthly bodies are of dust. And it says Adam became a living being. Paul's actually quoting from Genesis 2 in the creation account. And he's making his point. He's establishing the timeline. The creation of Adam came prior to the incarnation. Prior to the eternal son of God taking to himself a human body and a reasonable soul. Prior to Jesus' redemptive work. And so the natural body is first. You were born in Adam. And as a descendant of Adam, all the consequences that come with his sin, you inherited a sinful nature. Sin and death, sickness and disease, frailty, decay, weakness. All the issues I've been mentioning with our earthly body are because we descended from Adam. But not so with the resurrected body. Your resurrected body is of the last Adam, Jesus Christ who became a life-giving spirit. And our third way that our resurrected bodies are superior to our earthly bodies is our resurrected bodies are of Christ. Christ, as the God-man from heaven, came after the first Adam. And your resurrected, glorified body is inherited in Christ. And it comes after the finite, fallen likeness of Adam. Your first body inherited from Adam because he was the federal head of humanity. He was the representative of humanity who fell in sin and he brought death to all his descendants. For human bodies to be anything other than weak, sick, diseased, dishonorable, frail, decaying, and dying, there needed to be a second Adam. And God provided this second Adam in the person of Jesus Christ, who also was the federal head, the representative of his people. And he perfectly obeyed God and his law. He obeyed where Adam failed and where you and I fail as well. He paid the penalty of sin and death for the sins of all who put their faith in him. And so you inherit a natural body because you belong to Adam and you will inherit a superior resurrected body because you belong to Christ. And so through faith in Christ your resurrection is into a new glorified body into a new glorified life. And this is as good as done. It's been secured by the resurrection in glory of Jesus Christ. And your resurrected body will be like the resurrected body of Jesus himself. When we read the resurrection accounts of Jesus, we see there was a continuity and the discontinuity of what he was like before his death and what he was like after his resurrection. Paul has been making the same connection for our bodies. Jesus in his resurrection body was enough like his pre-resurrection body that Mary Magdalene finally recognized him when he appeared to her but his resurrection body was different enough that she didn't recognize him at first. And Paul also says that the natural body is sown in death and will be raised as a spiritual body. Now he's not saying that we won't have a physical body. He's saying that a spiritual body is one that has been permeated by the Holy Spirit and it's been granted eternal life. Your new body that you will receive at the resurrection will be forever guarded from sin and death by the power and love of God. You will be imperishable, and all the weakness that is brought on by sin will be no more. And the glory of your resurrection body isn't your own glory. But we should all share in God's glory in our resurrected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. We will be experiencing a deeper fellowship with God without all the consequences of sin, without sin and death because they've been defeated and removed. And God's glory will finally be all in all. Sin separates you from the glory of God. But Christ defeated sin and death and so that you can be reconciled to God and you can be united to the glory of God. And this will reach its ultimate fulfillment in the glorified, resurrected body. We don't know everything about our future resurrected state. And we don't even fully understand everything that's been revealed to us. But we know for certain that we will worship God and that will be central to our experience of his glory. You'll be a part of the masses standing around the throne of God praising him. The light of our lives will be the glory of God which will supply all of our needs. Your glory will be an extension and a reflection of God's glory and nothing will separate you from that. God will be all in all and your life will be caught up in his life. Now exactly what that means is beyond our current ability to understand. But you have assurance that when the time comes, you won't have any regrets. You won't be looking back at this life desiring this imperfect existence that you've left behind. You'll be enthralled by the glory of God, worshiping him in perfect joy, in perfect blessing for eternity. Now the truth is, all the dead will be raised upon the return of Christ. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ and those who don't. And the bodies of unbelievers, those who have died in their sins, will be raised in dishonor. They will be judged in their sins. Those who don't know God through faith in Jesus Christ will be punished for their wickedness. And so the glorification in the future resurrection It is only for those who have been united to Christ by faith. It's through Christ that you have all the blessings now and in eternity. You can't earn it. You can't earn it through obedience or effort. You actually deserve the fate of the wicked. You deserve God's condemnation and punishment in the final judgment. But through the mercy of God in Christ, through faith in him, your sins are punished on the cross and forgiven. And you're seen as righteous in the eyes of God through the perfect righteousness of Christ being transferred to you. It's only through belief in Jesus. And do you have this assurance? Do you have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in Him alone for your salvation? Through union with Christ that comes by faith alone, you'll be raised up in glory. You'll be radiating and reflecting the glory of God, you'll be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the final judgment because you'll be adjudged according to the righteousness of Christ, not your own wickedness. And you'll be made perfectly blessed to all the enjoyment of God for all eternity. And this is all the work of Jesus Christ. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that you have any hope in this life, in death, and in the future resurrection. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. We come before you to praise you. To glorify you in our worship. We long for the day Lord. That your son returns. The day that we will all be raised up. In glory through faith in your son Jesus. Lord as we struggle in this life. With the decay and the frailty. The weakness and the sickness. Help us to hold on to that blessed assurance you have given us. Help us to know in our hearts and in our minds. That one day it will all be gone. That in this physical glorified body. In a physical glorified space with all believers. We will be glorifying you. And death and mourning and sin and pain will be no more. That all we will know is how much we love you and how much you love us. And we will glorify you together for the rest of eternity. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen.